I'm going to be reading from Hebrews chapter 4 in just a moment, but let me start by saying it's such a blessing to be with you again here at Grace Church. This church has meant so much to us over the years. It's hard to believe that we've been away for 20 years laboring in the needy state of Maine, and uh, we've just been so thankful that you have watched out for us and cared for us, prayed for us, and we're very thankful for your help in those regards time and time again. We're separated by the miles, but we're united by our great God that we serve. And thank you in Christ's name for your fellowship in the gospel all of these years. We're just delighted to be with you and to be reunited with you again. And uh, we're very, very thankful. Hebrews chapter 4, I'm going to be reading. I am reading from the King James, but follow along as, uh, as you follow with me, starting in verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto him, the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. This morning I'm going to be speaking about a very common matter, but one that I find in my own life needs to be revisited time and time again. I'm going to be speaking about the Christian's prayer life. And uh, I've been doing back home uh, a study on the churchmen. And so we're going to be looking at the churchman and his prayer life. Let us open our service in a word of prayer at this time. Our great God and heavenly Father, we thank you that your word tells us that you delight in the prayers of your children. And we would come to thee this morning and ask that you would strengthen us, that we might be the men and women and young people who know how to pray because we know that it's your desire that we pray fervently and earnestly with the Spirit of God's help and aid, making groanings which cannot be uttered, 
And Lord, we would desire a better communication with Thee in our own personal prayer lives. Would You please make this time together profitable for all of us who have gathered on this Lord's Day. We want You to get all of the glory and honor. We want Your your Son, our Savior, our great High Priest to be exalted in our hearts and minds and in our view. And Lord, as I will mention, we desire a higher view of You and Your Son and Your work in Your church. And so we would ask for Your help in all of these things and that You would give us a sweet day of fellowship around your precious word. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. The term churchman is a term that that describes the Christian. In the original writings of the Puritans, I think it described more of the minister being the churchman But in years past, studies have been built. Dr. Al Martin wrote much, spoke much about the the churchman and his duties. And it certainly is applicable to lay people as well. That's us. And the churchman describes a Christian who is a strong supporter of the true church of Jesus Christ. Those who are fully given up to the work of the Lord in the church. Christians that love the church because we know what the Scripture says. The Scripture says that the church was purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, in Acts chapter 20. The scripture says that the church is the church that Jesus built and the gates of hell would not prevail against it in Matthew 18. It is the church that he loved and gave himself for. We read of that in Ephesians chapter 5. It's a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. It's the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And an amazing thing that when God calls his people unto himself, we become part of this church. Why wouldn't we want to be the best churchmen we can be? So a churchman is a is a person who wants the church to grow and he wants to be faithful in his part. A churchman is one who gladly serves the Lord and has no need of notice to be remembered or recognized by others because his service is done in faith and thankfulness and love for God himself. The churchman doesn't seek a a preeminent place. The church, he's just glad to be part of it. Willing to do whatever he can for the glory of Jesus Christ.
who is the head of the church. A churchman is one who publicly backs his pastor. That was part of the lesson this morning in Sunday school. It's a very good point. He stands behind his pastor. Sometimes pastors have to make difficult decisions. Thank God you have elders here. I'm a lone pastor in what seems sometimes to us as a third world country state, (laughs) the state of Maine. Uh, And sometimes there are difficult decisions that need to be made, and it's such a blessing when God's people are strong enough to stand behind doing the right thing. Not the pragmatic thing, the right thing. You see, the church belongs to the Lord. And may we treat her people with love and respect as we serve with humility our wonderful Savior. The church of Jesus Christ needs to be put into this place of a high view. A.W. Tozer offered this explanation of the problems that the church is facing today. He wrote this many years ago. He says the church has surrendered her once lofty concept of God and has substituted for one so low, so ignoble, and to be utterly unworthy of thinking and worshiping men. This she has done, not deliberately, but little by little without knowledge. And her unawareness only makes her situation all the more tragic. The low view of God entertained almost universally among Christians and churches, Tozer said, is the cause of a hundred lesser evils everywhere among us. A whole new philosophy of Christian life has resulted from this one basic error in our Christian thinking. When it comes to Almighty God and the church that He loves so much, the church of the living God, this holy God, He is the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. His name is holy. As you know, the building is not the church, although you have such a beautiful building here. The building is not the church. The people are the church. We make up the body of Christ. Both in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul wrote about the the body having many members and how the body is tempered together and, and every member has its part and some members are more comely than others, but they all have an important part to play in the body of Christ. (coughs) Why in the world wouldn't a Christian be a supporter of the church of Jesus Christ? 
And I, I know I'm probably speaking to the choir here. You're the faithful ones that come week after week, but I want to encourage you with these words of, of truth from God. I want to eventually get to this matter of the holy matter of prayer, but, but I just want to delay some foundation work, some groundwork for us that we, the people of God who've been called out unto him, we are a people that make up his church. This church is important to God, therefore it ought to be important to us, and, and we ought to see it in a high view. Away with this low view of the church, and away with the low view of the God that we know and love from scriptures. God is holy, and he has called us to holiness. We remember how Moses at the burning bush was told to take off his shoes that he was on holy ground. We remember how Isaiah in his vision in Isaiah chapter 6 heard the angels cry, holy, holy, holy. We know that Zion is called the holy hill. Jerusalem is called the holy city. Aaron and his sons ministered in the holy place. In the, in the book of Leviticus, that term most holy is found time and time again. Even their garments were holy garments. The altars of God were all holy. The seventh day called the Sabbath was called holy. Now we remember it the first day of the week, and it's just as holy for us. The Lord Jesus Christ himself was referred to as the Holy One. God's name is holy. And we who are Christians, we continually stand amazed that we are called of this holy God to live a holy life. The Lord spake to Moses in Leviticus 1, 2. He said, Speak unto the congregation of the children of Israel and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. The Apostle Paul did the same thing when he wrote to his, his uh, churches, in the New Testament epistles, he, he made sure that the people knew that they, they were holy unto the Lord. In Isaiah 62, 12, it says, They shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and thou shalt be called sought out. I like that. The Lord sought us out. He plucked us like brands from the burning, from the fire, and he made us part of his family and of his kingdom. Glory to God, where would we be if he left us in our filth? But our God saves to the uttermost all that come unto him, and our God is a God that makes us, changes us, turns us into new creatures in Christ. And it's a wonderful thing to see this transformation that takes place in the life of a child of God. And we can only attribute that not to our holiness, 
but the holiness of God working in us. Isn't that right? We are the redeemed of the Lord. And that temple is holy. This this morning, I would like to exalt this great God who has called us to this life, the one who we're told when Moses asked this question, who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful, awesome in praise, doing wonders? Thou stretcheth out thy right hand, and the earth swallowed them. There is none like unto thee, God, who rideth upon the heavens, and thy help, in thy help and in thy excellency on the sky. The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms, and he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee. This is a holy, great God that we serve. And to stop and think that as we're going to consider this morning that, that this matter, this one other holy matter that I want to challenge you with this morning, exhort you with this morning, is this matter of having a prayer life, a personal prayer life. I understand that you've been studying in Wednesday nights, I think it was, you've been studying corporate prayer. And corporate prayer is when we gather together to pray one with another. And that's a blessing. It's a good thing. But there is another thing that's very holy, and it's that, that which we do alone when no one else is around. It's prayer to the living God. It's the activity of the Christian, the churchman. It's a most precious aspect of our, of our communion with the Father. It's like perfume to the Lord. We're going to see later on in, in the book of Revelation 5 and then chapter 8 where it, where it talks about the prayers of the saints are before Almighty God as a sweet perfume unto Him. Proverbs 15.8 tells us that he delights in the prayers of his children, the upright. It's because it shows our need and our utter dependence upon him. And we certainly ought to have a sense of an utter dependence on Almighty God. Kind of like a child to his father. That's why the Lord Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father, which art in heaven. He wanted us to have that relationship established that we would know that we belong to him and that we can come to him and we can ask of him. And he delights in it when we do. Isn't that amazing? And so I'd like to talk to you about your prayer life this morning. We know that prayer is a key to to a stable Christian life. And yet, we also know how unstable we can be. 
If you ask a seasoned, mature Christian, how is your prayer life? It's likely that the answer will surprise you. You may hear the answer something like this, it's not as good as I wish it was. I remember as a new Christian, I, I still remember the preacher preaching about prayer and prayer life and a Christian's prayer life. And I think he asked that question, how is your prayer life and are you pleased with your prayer life? To be honest with you, as a young believer, I had never even heard of the concept that a Christian had a prayer life. And so it is something that needs to be taught, isn't it? And something that needs to be learned. But uh, we want to ask ourselves that question this morning. How is our personal, private prayer life? We know it's important. The Lord Jesus spoke about being in the closet for prayer. That's place of solitude, that place of being alone with him in prayer and, and uh, how necessary that is. Prayer is a communication between God and his people. And God himself has ordained that that is uh, something that we should do. It's something that needs to be learned. I remember that one instance where the Lord Jesus Christ was praying and his disciples were there. And it says when the Lord Jesus Christ ended his praying, the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. They heard him pray to his heavenly Father with such great communion and fervency that when he finished praying... They were so impressed by that that they were saying, Lord, we want to pray. We want to learn to pray like that. Wouldn't you love to pray like that? But it is something that we learn as we grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord. And there's much instruction found in the Holy Scriptures that teach us how to pray. In a sense, this book is a book full of prayers. Prayers of the old saints, prayers of the New Testament saints as well, and and we know that it's a, a book that instructs us. It's our manual, you might say. And the Spirit of God is our teacher. But there's just a few points, simple points that I'd like to make with you this morning that I hope will be something for you to consider and think about and pray about and and strengthen your prayer life. The first one is what we find in scriptures that prayer is to be without ceasing. Now, when Paul was concluding his letter to the First Thessalonian church there in First Thessalonians, he, he gave these concluding imperatives. And in verse 16, he said, Rejoice evermore. And then in verse 17, he said, Pray without ceasing. And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. 
He told us to pray without ceasing. And as you know, that it's speaking about a continual disposition of the heart or this attitude of dependency and prayerfulness that we certainly need to pray without ceasing. In, um, I think it was Luke 18, the Lord Jesus Christ taught that men ought always to pray and not to faint, not to give up. It's one of those things that we're not to be weary and well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we, we faint not. What a great promise. How many promises has God made to us that if we pray to him, he will, he will hear us and he will answer us and, and that he, he calls us to enter into this continual communion with him day and night. It's a wonderful thing. We're never left alone. Brother Mark was teaching this morning about uh, the Apostle Paul and the Lord Jesus Christ who all all those, the, the followers left him. It was in a very lonely place. And, uh, Oftentimes, as Christians, we find ourselves in a very lonely place. Even though we have beloved friends and we have Christian support and how we thank God for that, still we find ourselves in a, low, in a lonely place, in a lowly place. And yet, thanks be to God, we can still in that place pray without ceasing. It was brought up in that uh, Acts chapter 12 this morning, also another passage of Scripture where Peter was in prison. And that's a wonderful passage of Scripture about the church praying corporately, where it says in verse 5 but that Peter was in prison, but prayer was made in the church unto God for him. And then we see what God was doing behind the scenes in, in freeing Peter miraculously out of prison. So much so that he had a hard time believing himself. But the prayers of the saints are so meaningful and we can pray without ceasing. Secondly, we need to pray without worrying. In 1 Peter, Peter said this, casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Isn't that a wonderful characteristic of God that he cares for us like that? And he tells us to cast all of our cares upon him. This passage in 1 Peter carries with it a sense of bearing weights and burdens in solitude. Casting all of your care upon him. That word care is the same word that the Apostle Paul used in Philippians chapter 4 where he said, be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. Make your request made known unto God. That word care 
is the same word that's used. It's the same word that the Lord Jesus Christ used in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 33, where he used that, that expression, take no thought. Same word. Now, why do you think it is that the Lord has told us over and over again not to be anxious, not to be full of care, that's what careful in the old, the old language meant, not to be full of care, and, and take no thought, don't let those thoughts consume your mind and heart. Why do you think it is that the Lord told us that time and time again as he has? And to cast all of our care upon him. He promised in Psalm 55 that if we cast all our care upon him, he would sustain us. And why do you think it is? I'll tell you why I believe it is. Because we, we worry a lot. You ever have one of those sleepless nights where you just can't get to sleep thinking about something? There's something on your heart and mind and maybe it's a conversation, maybe it's an argument that you had with a loved one, maybe, who knows? It could be a a myriad of things, but but you know what it's like. I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm, I'm talking to a people that know what it's like to worry. And what a blessing it is that Almighty God, in His care for us, tells us that we ought to pray rather than worry. Casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. And then thirdly, we are to be praying without wavering, without ceasing, without worrying, Without wavering, James, that very practical book of James, James chapter 1, he was talking to the brethren. He said, my brethren, count it all a joy when ye fall into diverse temptations or trials, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given unto him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Asking in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. And I've been driven by the sea and tossed. But we need to pray in faith without wavering. In the, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, Jesus said, Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock. And it shall be opened unto you, for every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. 
the Lord Jesus Christ was teaching that we are to be a people who continually come to his throne of grace with our request making them known unto God. In Luke chapter 18, there's that, there's that uh, passage about the persistent widow. And there was that unjust king. And this woman kept bothering the king and making these requests. And he granted her her request not because he was a nice guy, he granted her a request so he wouldn't be bothered anymore. But I like what Jesus says in comparison to that individual king where it says, And the Lord said, unto her, said Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. What a blessing it is to be one of God's elect, to be one of God's family, who can come and trust in the living God and pray without wavering. Weak, struggling, unstable Christians need to build our faith and strength on the foundation of what the Bible says about our God and His desire to hear and answer our prayers. He said, call unto me and I will show you great mighty things that you know not. I will answer thee child of God, you're precious to him. We have this great vehicle of communication with him. And so I ask you this morning, how is your prayer life? Are you pleased with your prayer life? I recently read about a man. He was an avid mountain climber. He loved to climb the Swiss Alps. The article was entitled, He Died Climbing. And at the foot of the Swiss Alps is a marker honoring this man who fell to his death attempting to ascend one his last day. And the marker gives his name and his this brief Epitaph, he died climbing. He was consumed with love for this sport of mountain climbing. It's what he loved to do. And I just got thinking that epitaph of, uh, of every Christian should be that we die climbing. The upward path of prayer, learning and growing into the prize of Christ-likeness. May that be the testimony, our testimony, that we are climbing, ever climbing, doing the thing that we love, 
serving the God that we love, being part of the church and the church family that we love, being a people of prayer. Let us keep climbing. I told you I was going to mention this one uh, expression found in, in the book of Revelation about the, the prayers of the saints. In Revelation chapter 5, we have this sad scene that one of the elders said unto him, Weep not, behold, the lion of the troop of, uh, tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. I believe your pastor is going to be preaching to you on the book of Revelation. I'd like to be here to hear that. Um, but you remember the scene that they, they, they were troubled that there was no one to open the book. But Jesus Christ was there to open the book. And we're told in verse 8, And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors or perfume, which are the prayers of the saints. Did you see that? The, the, the prayers of God's people, they come before the throne of Almighty God and they're not turned away. They are, they are a sweet perfume under the nostrils of Almighty God. Again, that expression appears in Revelation 8 and verse 3, and another angel came and stood at the altar having golden censer, and, with the, and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the altar which was before the throne and the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angels' hands. Just meditate upon that. Think about this. The activity of faith by praying Christians on earth is recognized that way in heaven. That should be a great encouragement for us to pray without ceasing, without worrying, without wavering. And so let me make some just practical applications, if I may. Child of God, why wouldn't you want to develop your prayer life even stronger? It doesn't matter how old you are. As I said earlier, you know, you ask the seasoned saint, the mature saint, uh, we know we have a long way to go yet, don't we? And we're still going to be battling as long as we're in this body on earth. But why wouldn't we want to pray? Our needs are great. They're many. They're diverse. We're troubled. We're perplexed. We're, some are persecuted and cast down. Yes, our needs are great, but our God is great. He's a great high priest. We're told in the book of Hebrews that Jesus Christ ever lives to make intercession for the saints according to the will of God. He's moved with, the comp with compassion, with the feelings of our infirmities. 
He gives grace in, in the time of need as we approach the throne of grace and ask of Him great and mighty things. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. These are the things that God has encouraged us with in His Word. His throne of grace is always open. He's a God that never sleeps nor slumbers. So when you have those nights where you can't get to sleep, isn't it a blessing that we can turn to our God? We don't have to count sheep. We can count our blessings or we can, we can pray for others or we can just ask God to please deliver my heart and mind from this constant burden on my soul. We need to be looking unto Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 12, where it tells us looking unto Jesus, the idea there is, the meaning literally is looking away to Jesus. And sometimes we just have to look away from this world. This world is a mess, isn't it? And that's part of what troubles us. That's part of what worries us. But isn't it wonderful that we have a God that says here is an alternative to all of that trouble and heartache and burden, looking away unto Jesus Christ, the one who ever lives to make intercession for us. And he never turns us away. I was reading this morning in a, in a, a Grace Gem. I don't know if any of you have that app on your uh, phone or not, but it's called Grace Gems and it was written by James Smith. He said, thousands throng him, but no one is overlooked or neglected by him. He is always at his office ready to heal. He loves to see the poor, the helpless, the suffering patient come. He always greets them with a hearty welcome. Before him, the lame leap like a deer. The tongue of the dumb sings. The broken heart rejoices. The blind sees out of darkness. The process is ongoing. It's, it's not completed at this present time, but it's a process where we learn. We, we know it'll never be perfect on this earth, I think is what he was getting at. But it's a process that we learn through living a life of faith and prayer that we know that God is in control, He's sovereign of all things, and He directs us with His good providence. The Christian's prayer life is like a hospital below, he said. One day we will be sent from the hospital below to a paradise in heaven above. He's promised it. And then we will be relieved once and for all and forever of all the cares of this world. We need a great physician. And that's exactly what we find in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Come unto him, all ye who are labor and are heavy laden, and he will give you rest. That's his promise when we come. And so, folks, I would just say, let's remember we serve a holy God. 
it is astonishing to us that this holy God desires to fellowship with us the way he does. And he wants us to unite ourselves with him in prayer and to grow in the grace and knowledge and even the image of his son, Christ-likeness, more and more and more. And may God help each of us, according to our need, to strengthen our prayer lives. Amen. Let's pray together. Our great God and Heavenly Father, how can we thank you enough for all that you have done for us, making us new creatures in Christ, translating us from a kingdom of darkness to a kingdom of light, making us part of a, of a family, a heavenly family. We're just pilgrims here passing through. We're, we're alien residents here on earth. But Lord, how we thank you for the instruction that you have given us that helps us and gives us some spiritual equilibrium that we so desperately need. So Lord, please help us. We confess that we are needy. And we want and we thank you for your promise that you said when we draw nigh to you, you will draw, draw nigh to us. And we thank you that all of your promises to your children are yea and amen through Jesus Christ our Lord. Would you help us, I pray, to have this higher view of who you are and who our great Savior is and what a blessing it is to have a church that is true to the Word of God. Help us as your churchmen. Help us, Lord, in our prayer lives. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name, amen.